Greetings and salutations. This is Jordan Bloom. And Patton Oswalt. And we are the writers of Minor Threats over at Dark Horse Comics. And you are listening to the Oblivion Bar Podcast. Welcome to the Oblivion Bar Podcast with your host, Chris Hacker and Aaron Knowles. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Oblivion Bar podcast, the official podcast of the Fancy Shop in St. Charles, Missouri. I am Chris Acker, and one of your co-hosts here. And joining me this week, as he does every single week, my BFF, Aaron Knowles. Hello, Aaron. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Oh, you know, not too bad, especially because today on the Oblivion Bar podcast, we're having the uh, writing team behind Minor Threats over at Dark Horse Comics. Uh, a no. lot of people know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, we we've actually already had the conversation, Aaron. If you, I don't know if you're familiar or not, but yeah, we we've already talked to these great gentlemen. But we wanted to bring in the show as we do: Pat Oswalt and Jordan Blum, the writing team behind again Minor Threats over at Dark Horse Comics. It is a really cool concept, which basically just kind of highlights the uh, lower level C list villains and kind of their uh, what happens when the superheroes of this world of uh, Twilight City kind of turn against the city. And it's up to the lower level villains to kind of bring things back together. Uh, Aaron, what were your thoughts? Uh, we'll, we'll get into the conversation here, but I kind of want to just talk a little bit about Minor Threats. Reading this comic, have you ever read anything like Minor Threats before? And uh, obviously we both enjoyed it, but what were your thoughts on it? Like at, over the course of reading Minor Threats, I was trying to like think about like if I had read anything like it. And to be honest, mm -hmm. I, I could not recall anything anything really uh right. I, you when we talked to you you know Patton and jordan there was a lot of references or there's a lot of what feels like references in the actual material and for me i think that was some of the best parts of it because it felt like just an ode to all the great stories all the great characters and even some of the lesser known comics and and, and writers and it just it had so many elements to it and I love when when comic stories do that. You know, Jordan and Patton both say in this conversation that they are true blue fans of the medium. Like they Absolutely. are not, you know, Patton, of course, we all know Patton Oswalt. He is one of the most successful comedians of all time. He also has been voice actors. Vo yeah, he's one of the most successful voice actors. Uh, King of Queens, Ratatouille. Obviously, he did the Modoc series with Jordan. He's been in, I mean, it would be silly to list all of Patton Oswalt's filmography right now. You know Patton Oswalt. But Jordan Blum, on the other hand, he has been in the comic industry for a bit. He also was the showrunner on Modoc with Patton. And they've also done a Modoc comic series over at Marvel. So they they like they, like they know comics. They are Wednesday Warriors. And we talk about that a little bit in this conversation. And uh, it was nice to hear that too. I, you know, a lot of times you hear of, you know, actors or people in the public eye who want to get into comics, but only like comics on a more passive level. That is not Patton Oswalt, and that's not Jordan Blum. They love comics. They have loved comics for all their life. And Minor Threats is a true testament to how much they are a fan of the medium. Like you said, there there are callbacks, there are references to major events. Like for instance, one of the major things, one of the major like uh, uh, settings of this comic is that you know, in, in Marvel and DC, when there's these big events, a lot of times. The city is just kind of cleaned up and there's a status quo reset. <laughs> yeah. Not in Twilight City, not in Minor Threats. Like we see 
the result of what happens when these giant events happen in these universes and who cleans it up or do they even clean it up? Generally, no. Like you just have to, the normal people, the regular folk have to just kind of shift their lives around this, you know, wormhole or this giant alien that crashed into Twilight City. So I find that really interesting. And um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation with Patton and Jordan. One thing that I forgot about that I was really excited when I found out post-conversation mm-hmm. was that, you know, Patton Oswalt did the voice of Matthew the Raven in the Sandman series on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, if anybody knows, is an adaptation of a comic series by Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show that he is a, a, a massive supporter of everything that that deals with like nerddom and Mm -hmm. the medium of comics and comic spinoffs agents of shield i don't know i i I really admire the dedication that he and jordan have put into this i want to call it a labor of love but at the same time i don't think that they really felt laborious towards towards it i think they really it was just a fun project that really paid off There, there are a lot of moments in stardom and celebrity in that celebrity kind of galaxy that world that universe where celebrities are like they see something that was kind of cool or they see somebody else do it and they podcasting create, is a good example of that podcasting <laughs> is a great thing yeah or, or buying a sports team yeah or yep. writing a comic book you know and sometimes it pays off you know keanu reeves and berserker sometimes it pays off with uh the umbrella academy yeah gerard way and sometimes it doesn't pay off Mm-hmm. And in this in this case, because of their love for this industry, for Patton and Jordan, it absolutely paid off. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're excited to bring that conversation to everybody. Before we do that, though, we're going to quickly just plug patreon.com forward slash Oblivion Bar Pod. If you like what we do here on the Oblivion Bar Podcast, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash Oblivion Bar Pod. Uh, for your contribution, you could have access to The Grid, which is our Patreon exclusive weekly bonus podcast. Every week, every Friday, Aaron and I get together and we just kind of shoot the shit. You know, we just talk about what we generally wouldn't talk about here on the Oblivion Bar podcast, or we kind of give you a little peek behind the curtain, let you know what we're doing to prepare for these episodes. Uh, You get access to episode transcripts, which is what Aaron and I are reading from right now. That's how we prepare for each episode. You could get early access to these episodes, and you also could get a special shout out at the end of each Oblivion Bar episode, which Aaron will do here in just a bit. So, once again, that is patreon.com forward slash Oblivion Bar Pod. Aaron, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into that conversation with Patton Oswalt and Jordan Blum. And now this week's special guest. Joining us for episode 121 of the Oblivion Bar Podcast are the creators and writing duo behind the smash hit miniseries from Dark Horse Comics, Minor Threats. It is our honor to welcome both Patton Oswalt and Jordan Blum onto the Oblivion Bar podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us, guys. Your, your theme song, I feel like I was in Scanners or something. Yeah. Like it felt very, <laughs> very synthwave, yes, 1980s, yes, Arcade Kings type of thing. That's what we were, we're going for, at least. We're very, it, it we're huge fans of Tron. There you, you can't go. Yes. Uh, yeah. I actually wore my Tron shirt for the last episode. I, a lot of people can't see that because, of course, this is an, an audio medium, so a lot of people can't see our shirts. But yeah, I love wearing my Tron shirt on the Oblivion Bar because there's a lot of inspiration there. So um, thank you both for being here. Really appreciate it. Excited to get in this conversation, you know, mostly about Minor Threats, which, of course, like we just said, a, an amazing series from uh, Dark Horse Comics. So, you know, of course, along with artist Scott Hepburn, colorist Ian Herring, and letterer 
uh, Nate Picos, what you two gentlemen have created here with Minor Threats. Uh, it's pretty remarkable, honestly. It's it's kind of wholly original, giving this brief origin to our main characters at the beginning of each issue. Uh, and at the same time, also being a love letter to the medium and playing with conventional tropes that longtime readers will definitely get a kick out of. So what we ultimately learn from these sort of cold open cold opening origin stories is that there's been this defining choice or moment that has brought these people into the world of villainy. So Patton, I'd like to start with you. Can you talk about how you and Jordan both blurred that line between hero and villain based on how these people react to those defining moments in those origin stories? Well, you know, there's that saying that you have ultimate freedom and that you get to choose how things affect you. So uh, in a very, very twisted, warped way, these people um, chose uh, how the trauma in their lives uh, affected them. It's clear that a lot of the heroes, especially the insomniac, has had some serious trauma in his life. But these people, um, because of, you know, I, I know the phrase one bad day gets used a lot, but <laughs> there are... Uh, but another, we, we also made it very, very clear that a lot of times it isn't one bad day. It's a succession of bad days over and over and over where you feel like or you convince yourself that you don't have any other choice but to react the way that you're reacting. And so that, you know, it, I think it creates, a, the, the older you get, the more sympathy and the more um, empathy you have, I think, for other people. You, I hope that you get that as you get older. Um, and these are people that just had, were, were given limited choices and did the best that they could. I mean, it, it goes back to, I remember an interview with, with uh, one of the guys that co-created The Wire who took down this very notorious Baltimore drug kingpin. And he said the way that he ran his organization were the same, he ran it with the same discipline as any Fortune 500 company. He just did not have access to a BFA degree or Harvard Business School or any kind of legitimate way to make any kind of money. So he just took his genius and applied it to the drug trade. I think like there's a sense that these characters are kind of born into this hopelessness and it's a life. They all seem to want to escape and they see their way out as, you know, getting a freeze ray or putting on a snake costume is like, right. that's the only way to escape this neighborhood, to escape this life and lead to something better. So I think there's something about like these characters not really having a lot of options, you know, and that this is what the the successful people in their world do and they dress up in costumes they become villains they rob banks so why not you know take a crack at it themselves i've heard you guys many times say that you find the the small of course because the story is dealing with b last slash c mm -hmm. less villains you find that the the b and c less characters are far more interesting because they are not out to conquer the world they're not out to destroy the universe they are just trying to make it till tomorrow to pay their bills to to do whatever and i think you guys the the highlight of minor threats is that again like we talked about in that in the the question is that there, that line is blurred very heavily in this right. story you know between hero and villain just based on circumstance well i love that idea of the i am trying to live a very steady blue collar life i just happen to be a criminal but i have set up systems in place so that I can, you know, put away money, save for myself, even though I have criminal impulse problems. They, they do end up, any any kind of mini society that forms its own rules and its own form of laws, I just, I love that. That is endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah, I think you see, especially with Frankie, the main character, is that she's lived this life forever and it's gotten her nothing and she wants to kind of rescue her daughter from it. 
But again, the only way out is to put on the mask one last time, one last job. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure I think a lot of these villains have probably said that before, but you're rooting for her. You know, you want to see her her escape. And I think that's kind of the fun of, of these these characters is part of you wants to see them succeed. And other part of you is like, no, this is the fun of, of comics is, is yeah. seeing that, you know, they get locked away. They come back. They try and get revenge. They try and, you know, knock over another bank. And it's like, when is kind of enough is enough for these characters? What, you know, are, is there a breaking point for being a C-list villain where right. you're in this cycle of in and out of jail, getting beat on by heroes and, and not really moving forward? Famous last words, you know, mm. one last job. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, yeah it, that's the that's uh, that's on many a grave. <laughs> what we kind of see there, uh, and, and we should probably have said this from the jump. Minor spoilers, minor. There's a pun. Uh, spoilers for this story because we're going to talk about things in depth. I, we would love for everyone right now listening, if you haven't read issues one through four of Minor Threats, please go read them and then come back to this, you know, this conversation. Or if you don't care to be spoiled, that's fine too. But to kind of briefly touch on the finale in, in issue four, we we see maybe and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, somewhat of a status quo reset to see now that we see Frankie kind of in charge of things, where does she go from here? And that's, I'm assuming you guys will tackle that in the future. There are plans. There are plans that we will leave mm-hmm. it at that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say where she ends up, I think is different though, where she began, because I think these characters are, uh, they have all these other things, you know, A-list heroes, A-list villains, all these other things kind of keeping them down. And by the end of the series, Frankie's kind of wiped the chessboard, you know, and there's mm-hmm. the, she's the only player left. And I think um, it's a chance to kind of organize supervillain crime in a way it never has and, and legitimize it as opposed to just kind of running around trying to knock over jewelry stores. Here's a shot mm-hmm. to build something that hasn't yeah. existed before. So I think that was kind of the goal mm-hmm. is... You know, she can't fight who she is, but she can do things slightly differently now because of how things have changed in the city. So I, I lo- one thing I love about this story is the fact that, you know, you have these parallels in that story that kind of relate to real life struggles. Like you said, you know, it's not one bad day because in any comic you have one bad day that can create a villain that can create a superhero. One moment, one defining choice. And just like, you know, real life it takes time for people to kind of have to to be beaten down and make those decisions that kind of turn them into that criminal. So I appreciate that you guys have, have kind of paralleled that with, with reality. But one thing that I wanted to talk about with the characters is how each of them kind of highlights their, their different form of self-sabotage, you know, because each of them has their own set, you know, type, you know, form. Uh, Frankie just wants to run away from everything. Uh, Brain Tease wants, you know, recognition or validation for his genius, and he'll do anything for it. Scalpel has a me- emotional detachment uh, from everyone. Snake Stalker gets out, uh, can't get out from under his dicey past, and we all know what Pigeon Pete did in, in the story. So, my question <laughs> is, so like at every, you know, at every, every character at some point proclaims that they're they are the leader of the group, also. So, um, Jordan, this kind of question, I wanted you to kind of take the the lead on. What came first when creating minor threats? Was it these flaws themselves, or was it the the flawed characters? Um, I think Frankie was like I mean, we had to start there, and I think once we cracked her and being the second generation villain who wants out um who resents this lifestyle like that kind of made sense as the core character to drive this forward and then we started just kind of talking about archetypes right like you know we love 
calendar mans and what were the other ones patent that you love the was the snake oh, one uh copperhead, the king. Right? copperhead the um crime doctor um yeah. you know just just people that are it is absolutely i also again there's a specific panel in uh suicide squad where captain boomerang goes back to his room and there's like extra boomerang costume just in the background hanging in the closet like oh yeah he would have to have you have to lay out his clothes for the week to get have his costume on and go do what he's got to do. <laughs> like I thought that was fascinating, you know. Yeah, we have the night nurse, but who's like the who's the dry cleaner of the Marvel universe? That's what I, that's what I want to yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think what's interesting is a lot of those characters that we're mentioning were kind of created in the you know fifties, sixties, uh, and they were like villain of the week. They weren't given a lot of depth, right. uh, you know, at times. But we wanted to go, like, why would you do that? Why would you continue to do this year after year after year, you know, putting on this costume, going out, trying to kind of sell yourself as this thing? And and I think what we found was like a trauma at the, at the core of all these characters. And I think once we would kind of, um, we had the archetypes, then it was like, well, now let's peel back the layers and see what makes them act this way and why they make these choices and the characters kind of revealed that their, their histories sort of revealed themselves as we tried to be like why would you be you know a a, a surgeon to the supervillain community like what what would le- uh kind of lead you to this this life and you know each time you asked it you you, you would find the, the backstories within mm-hmm. and then kind of along with that you know you were kind of speaking on like how and essentially the story is kind of writing itself in a way you know you get your character and then you kind of just build on that. Right. And, uh, this is kind of inside baseball stuff. You know, if, if you don't want to answer, that's totally fine. But when it comes to, like scripting out the series, how do you and Patton, how do you guys split the duties in terms of like dialogue? Cause you guys, you guys are sharing, there's a writing duty here. Do you, do you do what, do you guys one have one issue where you do a dialogue Patton and then, you know, Jordan, you do the character building. How does that work for you guys? Well, we try to get together as a pair and like, and just break the whole story. And then we pass it back and forth. Jordan is really, really good at story pacing and, you know, and, and dialogue. Uh, and, and I'm just, you know, trying to, I just, I just have way too many ideas for our own good. So, <laughs> you know, we just have to pick which ones we're going to shove in there. World building tends to really blow my head open bigger than it needs to be. So, you know, there's a, there's a nice give and take there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just editing, you know, uh, cause I think we yeah. all, we, we, we probably could do, you know, the first series, could have been 20 issues and yes. all still be set in one night because we wanted uh, to explore yeah. the whole world. So you kind of, you know, you focus it on, okay, specifically the structure of minor threats is we're going to jump narrators each issue. Their, what, you know, their backstory is going to reveal information that's going to affect what's happening in the present and the choices that they make and why they agreed to go on this kind of suicide mission. Um, and, you know, as, that's kind of the North Star, right, of, of the issue but um, one of the other things we wanted this to feel like crime noir, and like Patton is a crime noir historian. Uh, we would you would pull up stuff right on on the Criterion, oh, yeah. and we would you know watch stuff. And I think you have such a, an ear for that dialogue too that we wanted it to be fifty fifty superhero and kind of classic you know caper crime noir stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know I think everyone kind of adds their little pieces in and by the time you pass it back and forth it's kind of hard to tell who added what and you know where it came from it's very organic when you have like a partner who you know has uh, has a similar voice and, and kind of the same things excite us it sounds like you almost just stepped in the room and kind of immediately went to your strengths and 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 fed off each other's strengths absolutely 
I mean, it, we're, we, we fed off our enthusiasms. We're very, very enthusiastic for this stuff. So I think that that especially shows, if I can toot our own horn, that definitely shows in the writing. There's a lot of enthusiasm and love of this genre. We're not, it, a lot of times there's deconstruction that happens and it's clear that the, the people are like, see this, like we love this stuff. I, I'm not trying to denigrate it, even though I want to look at different aspects of it. I don't want to take it apart and, and, and leave it dead on the ground. I love it. Now, speaking of that enthusiasm, did you guys ever just find yourself kind of side questing or losing track of, of, of staying on, on target? Like, did you ever just kind of like start talking about the most random like storylines or your characters or, or anything like that? Yes, but you know where a lot of it came from? I feel like a Scott's art would yeah. fill in these backgrounds of the city. And I'd be like, oh, my, you know, we, uh, we always talk about um, – shit eater who's this fly character <laughs> yeah. in a punk jacket at the bar that scott just threw in there and we were ready to derail it and be like can we just follow this guy and see what yeah. his deal is <laughs> we love you him. know <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of that where it's yeah. like we we feed off the art and it influences the writing and then a lot of times it's like us infusing the stuff that scott's putting in our in our heads just as much as we're kind of writing out things for him to draw now, we, we heard also, too, and you guys can tell me if this is a rumor or what, but this was uh, originally a pitch at DC Comics. Is that correct? For, for like a Batman rogues gallery type of story? Have you heard this? I had an idea for a Batman Joker story about what happens when the Joker breaks out and Batman comes down like a ton of bricks on the the lower class villains of Gotham. And we had worked on a, with other, other, other people's IPs and it, we, we had reached a point where we're like, let's just build our own world now. Let's build this out way. But it was going to be... That's why I was mentioning Calculator, Crime Doctor, Copperhead, Crazy Quilt. It was literally going to be a C list of villains who are like <laughs> Batman is and the Bat family are making the city into a police state trying to find Joker. So let's hand him over and get a little credit in the favor bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, although that, of course, that didn't go through. I think what you got here instead with minor threats is uh, wholly original again, like we said. And just you guys, I feel like you can do much more than if you were not not to discredit DC and Marvel. I clearly have a love for those two publishers, but what you guys have done here at Dark Horse with minor threats, I feel like is more your speed, more Blum, Oswald, you know, that type of deal. So. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of along with that, to kind of build on Meyer threats and what we've got in the future, because, again, this is this is four issues. And I think those four issues are great, in, you know, in a capsule. But I think, you know, speaking for myself, for Aaron and for you know fans of the series, we yeah. want more, of course. You know, and we actually recently just this week found out that Dark Horse uh, announced that Meyer threats is getting a tie in miniseries called The Alternates, which will. Uh, kind of step away from the villains and go into the B-list superheroes this time around who struggle to reclaim their mediocre life through a support group. So can you guys speak on that a little bit more and what you uh, what fans can you know eventually anticipate to see with the story? Yes, Tim Seeley pitched us this story or the kind of the general area and, and brought in and we developed it with him. And I think the idea was he was very interested in like, you know, how do you do a book of, you know, from the perspective of, you know, these, these C-list or B-list heroes who got kind of taken into a vertigo world and lived this mature reader life and then were brought back, yeah. uh, like rebooted back to their old lives. So like, how do you go back to a two-dimensional superhero world after you've been in Alan Moore Swamp Thing, you know, or Grant Morrison's stupid? Like, <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting struggle. So these characters have seen this potential of who they could be from not just powers, but you know, their minds expanded and now they're back to this very simple, almost black and white world. Right. And um, they're struggling with it. So they're in a support group and 
what happens is um, they discover that elements from this mirror world that they were in have made it to this world in the form of like a street drug. So it, it's mm. sort of a, mm. a, a story about recovery because they're trying to move past this this point in their life and now it's kind of come back and they're tempted by it as well as trying to solve the mystery of how it got here. So we just we just thought that was the coolest concept and we're like, yes, we want to work with you, Tim. Yeah, it's, well, so it's funny. You, you guys, uh, you recently talked to, I'm going to do a quick shout out to some of our friends, Comic Book Couples Counseling. Shout out oh, to Brad and Lisa. You guys were on show, the show yeah. not too long ago. And every time we see, we're good friends with them. Brad, he and I, we're both huge fans of Saga Swamp Thing. That's my, that's one of my favorite runs of all time. And we always, we like goober, you know, you got to eat that sexual fruit every time you see each other. Because it's just, it's so trippy, that whole book. And it's incredible. It's like, Alan Moore's here and we're all somewhere in this range. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's a total wizard. So I, I have two random questions I want to throw in there into the conversation. And the first one is because like, I'm a huge uh, fan of The Tick. And mm-hmm. the the setting of of minor threats in this city, it it very much reminds me of the 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 city that the Tick moves to, where it's all like you know up and coming superheroes and villains who are trying to just find their own way in the world. Did that have any kind of inspiration there? I I never really read the Tick. I read a I read the early issues back in the day, and I didn't follow up on it, so I don't know that aspect of it. But I mean, there's a uh, you know um, uh, in Pictopia. Uh, which was another Alan Moore thing. Um, obviously, Astro City, obviously Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Those are the big influences on us. Okay. You, you know where I see yeah. Tick influence is, I remember where Chairface Chippendale tried, <laughs> tried to write his name on the moon, but he only got Cha out before he got <laughs> yeah. stopped. And then it was yeah. always in the background. And I think that was an aspect we really loved, which is this idea that it continuity doesn't just get like erased, you know, or the city doesn't suddenly get rebuilt or that gets cleaned up by damage control or something in this world, that stuff is there always. Yeah. So we wanted to have the bones and stuff. So I always like that, that like something happened, you know, 40 years ago, it's still sort of there because no one's cleaned it up. And yeah. that, I think that yeah. definitely influenced it. And then the other question I was going to ask was about Pigeon Pete <laughs> and simply because like back, I'm a huge TMNT fan and there, there was a, a character back in 2012 from the, that series that was Pigeon Pete. And so I was just like, it just, it brought me back to some nostalgia back then. There's another Pigeon Pete? Yeah. Was he a mutant? Was he like a... <laughs> what did he, he do? Like what was his thing? Was he a pigeon? He was literally like a, a like how the turtles were, were humanoid turtles. He was just a humanoid pigeon and he'd go around and he'd try and like eat everything and then just vomit it up. Well, oh my God. if IDW <laughs> wants to do a crossover, the, the yeah. meeting of two Pigeon Peets, we're down. <laughs> I, I want to know who's going to win that fight, for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think there are any winners in that fight. <laughs> they fight for a bit, and then they're friends. That's how that always works, isn't it? That's right, how superhero right. comics generally work. But Okay, so we, we have a final question, but I also, since we're on the, the topic of random questions, something just popped in my head, Pat, and I have oh, to ahead. bring this up because... I don't think we're going to be able to talk very often outside of this conversation. I got to tell you my favorite cameo of yours of all time in the world of, you know, in, in film and television and all that. It was in Dodgeball <laughs> in the opening scene when Vince Vaughn, <laughs> he's on the couch and he hears the the uh, yeah. machine go off and it's you. And you're like, uh, excuse me, whatever his name is. Uh, you've got three movies that are overdue. You've got Drunken Hussies Part 4, Backdoor Patrol, and Mona Lisa Smile. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh every single time. Oh, it never thanks, fails man. to make me oh, chuckle. I so. that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I just love it. <laughs> of course. So our um, final question is actually, you know, again, for both of you, it's like you both clearly have your finger on the pulse, you know, of the medium. 
Uh, so we wanted to round this conversation out by just like simply asking, you know, what what do you, what are you reading or what's in your you know your backlog? We all have our our huge. I'm sure you can see my stacks of comics behind oh, me. Oh yeah, yeah. What's in, what's in your backlog? Oh God, I, I I have a whole stack of the Dematis verse comics that were just sent to me. Oh, I got these. those too. Yeah, yeah. I have, but I haven't had a chance to sit down and read those. Um, yeah. I, I have. Uh, I oh God, there's there are so many. I mean, I try to keep up. But I've never read Asterios Pollitt by Mazzuccelli, and I know I have that's on my deck. I know I got to get to that one. But I, t- I tend mm-hmm. to actually keep pretty on top of the weekly stuff because otherwise it just gets impossible, and I, I know that I'm not going to ever get to it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I keep up with the, the floppies, but I always buy more graphic novels than I can ever read. <laughs> so that stack gets bigger, and I, and I struggle to just keep the floppies down. Uh, I just got, I think it was called. Is it Teenagers from Mars? It was an indie book from a few years ago mm. that is sitting mm. there. It sounds familiar. Um, but as far as stuff that I'm reading now, I got to say, it's a good time to be a Superman fan. Every single Superman book <laughs> is fantastic. And he's the hero I need. Yeah, as honestly, it's, it's crazy the amount of great Superman we've gotten because we went from the Rebirth, Gleason, and Tomasi run straight into Brian Michael Bendez, who did a great run. Uh, people have problems with Brian McBendis' run, but I loved it. And then, of course, now we have Joshua Williamson. We have Philip Kennedy Johnson on before that. Like, it's it's been really yeah, great to be yeah. a Superman fan for sure. Have you had a chance cool. to check out Do a Power Bomb? No, and that looks really good. I haven't it, had again. That's <laughs> it, it's about wrestling. Yes, so it's uh it's uh Daniel Warren Johnson's like love letter to wrestling. And it is one by far one of my most favorite stories that I've read since. Most favorite. Wow. I have a lot okay. of favorites, I will, Chris. I will have, I have to a lot go of and uh, read that. Yeah. yeah. It, it, he's he's very high on our list of artists I would love to do. Get a yeah. variant cover for us. Yeah. yeah. We've had Daniel on the show and he is as warm Aww. as you would think he is. He's one of the nicest people in the industry. When you meet him at a convention, he's just the sweetest man. It's like. Uh, Daniel Warren Johnson and David Mack. If we you know, know David, David, yeah. Mack, the artist. Great. Um, he, those two are often competing for like the <laughs> nicest person well, in the world. Do me comics. a favor. Next time so. Daniel Warren Johnson is on the show, ask him if he wants to do a Minor Threats cover and record it and put him on the spot. Yeah. And um, hold it, we'll hold him to it. We'll uh, we'll try to pressure him into it for you guys. We, we... And, and Christian Ward. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Oh, Christian so Christian, Christian actually did a, a cover for you guys. Yeah, he, he did. did. Yep. He, he did three. Weird. And we had to pick one, and we're like, can we I just know. mash them all together? Because we're all, I didn't want these all to see the light of day. <laughs> oh, he tortured us. Have you read Phantom Road by Jeff Lemire and uh, Gabrielle Walta? I'm reading it right now. Yeah. So this is a, so good. Uh, a shameless brag that Aaron and I have to pull out really quick. We actually got um, – we have a, a partnership with Whatnot, if you're familiar with them. But we actually got a custom cover done for us by Christian Ward for Phantom Road number one. It's the – Oblivion Bar uh, exclusive. Yeah. For everyone listening right now, I'm holding it up and it's uh it's as incredible as you would think. Uh Christian, he never misses. Wow. So yeah, he's he's one of our good friends in the industry. And uh, honestly, we could sit here and talk about Christian and Daniel Warren Johnson and, and how incredible all of these creators are, but we won't take up too much of your guys' time here. We dr- we really do appreciate right. you guys being here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. Thanks on the for show. having us on. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Is there anything you guys want to highlight before yeah, awesome. we before we head out of here? July 12th, the trade mm-hmm. comes out. It was supposed to yes. come out a little earlier, but they changed distributors, Dark Horse. So it, it hits the streets July Perfect. 12th. Yeah. Good deal. 
Awesome. Well, thank you guys right. both for being. When is when is this? This air? will be out uh, when, the when first is... week of July, if I'm not mistaken. So okay, oh, yeah. okay, it'll That's come Wednesday, July 12th. In. Go get the trade paperback. Heck yeah, awesome. You heard it, everybody. All right, do thank it. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you Thanks, soon. Do guys. it, thank you. All righty, there's our conversation with Pat Oswald and Jordan Blum. Aaron, I'll tell you, although that was an incredible conversation, one of my biggest regrets from that conversation was, uh, here's a little peek behind the curtain, everybody listening right now. We use Riverside.fm for our recording studio, and it's really hard to get four people into this program to record and make sure everybody's on the right time with internet and just you know whatever device they're using. We always like to recommend that people use uh, Google Chrome for this you know platform. And I was slightly delayed for whatever reason. I don't know why. I have pretty good internet and I'm hardwired into my computer. And at one point during the conversation, you guys re- may remember this while just listening to it, Patton Oswalt was started started to talk about Saga of Swamp Thing and I accidentally cut him off. And it really bugs me. I really hate the fact that I did that because as we talk about in this conversation, it's one of my favorite comic runs of all time. And uh, it really bummed me out while I was editing it. So I just wanted to bring that up really quickly. I may have edited around it on, you know, just because I wanted to let the conversation flow a little bit better so you guys could listen to it easily. But I will forever live with that regret, Aaron, that I cut off Pat Oswalt while talking about Saga Swamp Thing. There were so many things that I actually wanted to bring up. And honestly, it's just, you know, scheduling wise. And, and you could kind of hear it as he's definitely been doing a lot of work recently mm-hmm. and he's been busy mm-hmm. and you know obviously he's got a he's he has he has a lot of projects and so you know we didn't want to take up too much of his time there was a lot of things i wanted to ask him about more about the alternatives more about upcoming voice you know and upcoming production th- you know items that he's involved with it just you know sometimes we just don't have the time and also mm-hmm. yes technology does become kind of a burden sometimes well and also Patton was uh, he was basically, he was about to take a red eye to go to New York. I realized the next day after editing the show that he was already in New York doing something. So clearly he had like a moment where he, he wanted to stop in for the show, which we appreciate both him and Jordan being here was incredible. Uh, a true landmark here on the oblivion bar podcast and very excited to have those two on here. So, uh, going on into next week, cause we've officially, uh, finished episode 121 of the oblivion bar podcast, Aaron, we're going to be talking to another creator. Of course, why not? We're just going to keep this interview train rolling and why not bring on one of the most decorated comic creators of all time, both as an artist and a writer. That is of, of course, Matt Kent. Now, some people know him from Spy Superb, Mind Management, Berserker, like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. with Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Like he's done a lot in his career and uh, very excited to talk to him for episode 122 of the Oblivion Bar podcast. So really cool stuff coming down the pipeline. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. I'll just briefly go over what we have. Obviously, Matt Kent, like we just said, we've got a double feature review of both Barbie and Oppenheimer in the near future. Uh, we'll be talking about Secret Invasion, of course. Uh, and then obviously, Aaron, Still we got to have watched it. <laughs> I know you have it. It's OK. Honestly, uh, between you, me and the listeners right now, you're not missing much thus far, but that's OK. Hopefully it gets better. And uh, we're going to also be talking about we're going to have another Aaron centric episode because I love my Aaron centric episodes. We're going to be talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem here in the near future. So very excited to uh, review that here on the Oblivion. People podcast. stop making fun of the character designs. It's an animated film. OK, mm-hmm. who's making fun of these character designs? I want to know I, that. I was on Twitter this morning and somebody was they, there was there was a clip of when April you know O'Neill when she because mm-hmm. she's a black female 
in this movie. She's also a little bit heavier. And somebody had to make comments and like retweet, like, like, why is she bigger than the turtles? I don't you know. Wanna, I don't care. I don't. It's I, like, honestly, it does not even. It doesn't surprise me, firstly, yes. but also I don't care. Like they like if you again, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. We can talk about it during the review if you want. Yeah. But April O'Neil is kind of culturally ambiguous in the Absolutely. in those original comics. Like she, she 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 doesn't need. She's not. I mean, she's not necessarily important to the story. She can be whoever, well, her whatever. Definitely however, is not important. Yeah. At all. Yeah, at, she a, can she can be a a a just a malleable character in the TMNT universe. There is no need for her to be any specific race, gender, you know, uh, ethnicity, whatever. She just needs to be inquisitive. She needs to be, you know, have that journalistic ten- yeah. Uh, yeah journalistic tendency to go mm-hmm. and and obviously deal with like news reports and 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 going after having having the curiosity to hunt down the turtles and the foot. All that stuff, like that's all that really matters. How how she looks, what she looks like, what who she is, or who they are, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. I'm yeah, just you tired can play of with all those things. I'm tired of people. You know, it's it's like, oh, I'm reading this Superman comment, and he seems more powerful than last time. This is stupid. Yeah, you're or reading, it's not the it's not the Superman that I like. Yeah, it's you're reading a fucking comic book you're reading you're watching a movie about mutant turtles get the fuck over yourself yeah it is it's definitely one of those things where people oftentimes will turn their brain off whenever or they'll get angry if it's not a specific thing that they like Like, exactly i think i've even treaded into this realm of like Zack snyder dc films like i turn my brain off to it because it's not my cup of tea but i think that's slightly different because i said this the other day on twitter and i believe this comic books are written in dry erase and movies are written in permanent marker. People will take what's in the movies and carry that as canon. And anything that's not that version will they'll deflect. Whereas comics, mm. you can get many different voices, many different adapt you know adaptations or ways of telling a story. And uh, that's the beauty of the medium. That's why I love comics so much. But so let me ask you this. I know I know this is kind of a side quest, but let me ask you this: When you read a book, mm-hmm. okay, and yes, your secret's out. I know you can read. Uh, when you read a book, I didn't want anyone to know, Aaron, <laughs> where did you learn this? Uh, <laughs> who taught you this? I learned it from you, dad. <laughs> I learned it from you. Where does the idea of, of those, of your, like, the main character, where, like, if you read a book first, does your brain create how they look? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like and so the voices and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go into a movie, like you're like, ah, okay, I can kind of see, I kind of imagine them being like this, you know, and you know, you now have a face to the name because that act, that actor, actress, act, you know, actor now portrays that character. Now, what happens if you see a movie first and then read the book? I, I mean, I generally, for me, I always default to the book. I'm one of those snobs that is like, read the book before you watch the movie kind of thing. But if for some reason, like for instance, Game of Thrones is a good example. I watched the series before I read any of the books. And I feel like all that the book does, it's only positive. When you watch something, and if you love, like for instance, House of the Dragon. I loved House of the Dragon. Then I went and read Fire and Blood, which is basically House of the Dragon 100 years before and 100 years after. And all it does is contextualize everything that you just watched on that series or in that movie. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's only positive vibes from there because you get so much more out of reading a book compared to, and I love movies. I love television. You know this. Everyone that's listening to this right now knows this, but the book always gives more context. That's all I'm saying. You still have to answer my question. Uh, What what, what was, so what did I not answer? I said that it's (laughs) always, it makes it better. It does make it better, but like the character, 
Like if you watch him, if you watch the movie first and then go read the book, is the character is the actor that played that character now how you visualize that character when you're reading the book, or not necessarily, do you, or do you still create an image in your brain? Not necessarily. Okay, and I'll speak to comics in this instance because we need to close out the show. <laughs> uh, for me, when I read Batman comics, I read it in Kevin Conroy's voice. I read okay. it in Mark Hamill's Joker, uh, but I don't do that with everything. Comics are very specific. Like if I'm, if I watch, uh, why am I bl- Charlotte's web? Okay. When I read the book, if I watch the movie and then read the book, I don't necessarily read it in the voice that I've just watched. You know, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like there are yeah. certain iconic adaptations that I just default as canon in my brain, but I don't always do that with every franchise, every property. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think okay. Jennifer Hale voices everything in my brain. <laughs> Shout out to Jennifer Hale. She and she has. I mean, she has voiced yeah. everything. <laughs> I just figured I'd throw that out there. If you want if you want a filmography that's longer than Patton Oswalt's, go look at Jennifer Hale's. Because <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> um, just um she is the most prolific uh voice actor of all time. And we've had her on the show. Go listen to that conversation. Uh but Aaron, that will do it for episode 121 of the Oblivion Bar podcast. Will you please take us out of here? I don't want to. I don't want to, though. Uh, you wasn't ready. Uh, subscribe <laughs> to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Google Podcast. I said Google twice. Yes. Maybe. Pandora, Amazon Music, Go to Google Radio. twice. <laughs> Go to Google twice and just subscribe. Uh, <laughs> but then you might unsubscribe. So subscribe yeah. three times. There yeah. You go. Just join our sure. Patreon community, patreon.com forward slash Oblivion Bar Pod. Thank you to all of our patrons. Alex, Alice, Aaron, Cassidy, Christy, David, George, Greg, Haley, Brad, Jake H, Jake S, Jason, Jeremy, Kyle, Losey, Robert, Sebastian, Travis, and Brad and Lisa for Combo Couples Counseling. That was a mouthful. You did a good job. You didn't lose your breath that time. <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Blue Sky. We're on Blue Sky. And Twitter, hat Oblivion Bar Pod. Thank you, Whatnot, for sponsoring our news notes segment. Check out the referral link in our show notes and follow us over on Whatnot at Oblivion Bar Pod. Official merch of the show can be found at our website, www.oblivionbarpodcast.com. Kevin Ziegler, thank you for all of our Oblivion Bar art. He's at the Zig Zone on Instagram. Thank you, Dream Kid. For all of our Oblivion Bar themes, DJ Skyvac for our grid theme. And last but not least, thank you, Fan- Fantasy Shop, for sponsoring the show. You are a dear motherly figure, fatherly figure in, <laughs> in our lives. Last but not least, which I think I said thank you, last but not least, Fantasy Shop, but whatever. Don't forget to tip your bartenders 20% or more. It's kind of early. Yeah, uh, 20% or more always. Never anything less. Always more. Uh, thank you guys so much. <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening to the Oblivion Bar podcast. We appreciate it. We will see you next week for episode 122.